This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. Hey, all you heroes and champions, crows, pirates, and inquisitors. Welcome to the Dragon Age Lorecast. I'm Shelby. And I'm Austin. And we are so excited to bring you this podcast. Every episode, we'll be talking about a different topic in the Dragon Age universe. From the Maker to Lyrium to Aravels, we will cover it all. There will be spoilers. And always remember, swooping is bad. Hello and welcome to the Dragon Age Lorecast, where we talk about all things Dragon Age. I am Austin, also known as Teacup. I am one of your co-hosts for this podcast. And I'm Sheikup or Shelby, and I'm the other co-host for this show. All right. Well, we've been going through our factions of Thetis for all of season two, and this is our last faction episode. I know. Can you believe it? I cannot. We're fixing to start season three in just a couple weeks. That's crazy. Yep. But this may be our last faction episode. But let me tell you, we're talking about three factions in one. Yeah, because we don't know a lot about these three factions. Well, we know we know a good bit about two of them. Um, not a ton, but yeah. So we, you want me to just tell them? Uh-huh. We are talking about three dwarven factions today. I know all of our dwarf simps are going to be happy. We're talking about the Silent Sisters the Shah Brital, and the Legion of the Dead. Dwarves, dwarves, and more dwarves. Exactly. Now you might be asking, okay, what about, we're talking about a lot of dwarven factions, and there's one big one that I guess we didn't mention, which is the Shaperit. Um, And the thing about that is there's just not enough information about the Shaperit for us to really give anything we know they are keepers of the history of dwarven society and in orzammar yeah in orzammar and that they delete uh memories that are inconvenient (laughs) and really really that's about all we know so there you go (laughs) yeah that's why we're not talking about the shape right maybe after ga4 comes out we will talk about them we'll see we'll just have to see but so let's dive in which one do you want to start with Let's just go with the Silent Sisters. Okay, so Silent Sisters. We meet them in the very first game. We don't know a lot about them at that point, but we do meet them in Origins. Um, But the Silent Sisters are a fighting order of female dwarven warriors, and Orzammar specifically, and they're dedicated to unarmed combat. The order was founded after the death of a dwarven warrior woman named Astith the Grey, and she first fought for the woman's right to be a soldier in Orzammar. When no one listened to her or gave women this right, her response was to cut out her tongue, and she dedicated herself to training until she won a grand proving barehanded. She posthumously became a paragon in 195 Divine after she sacrificed her life to save that king of Orzammar. So Astith the Grey is badass. Very much similar with uh, the original Sir Aveling. Similar, but I don't think uh, Astith the Grey was as... um, she, she wasn't, like, cast out of, of her people. Like, her people didn't turn their backs on her. They just basically were like, mm, no, and ignored her. They didn't kill her. Right. Um, so that's a little bit about their founding. Um, but interestingly, a cast, your cast, has no bearing whatsoever on your membership in the Silent Sisters. So a castless dwarf can become part of this order. And, and more than that, the Silent Sisters accept all women, all women dwarves, as long as they can prove themselves in combat. So really, as a cast list, you've got three options. 
You can live as a bum. Well, I guess you've got four options. You can live as a bum in Dust Town. Mm-hmm. You can join up with the Carta. Mm-hmm. You can... Uh, five options. You can go to the surface and be an outcast. Um, you can go into the deep roads and just decide to die. Or you can join the Silent Sisters. I'll add a seventh option. Oh, okay. You can become Six. a Grey Warden. Oh, yeah, Grey Warden. But, oh, you I know... Could, go ahead. You, could mar- you could marry someone of a different cast if you're lucky. Then your yeah. children won't be castless. But the thing about all these things is, like, only only a couple of these options are open to everyone. Like, to become a Grey Warden, you have to be a good fighter. To become a Silent Sister, you have to be a good fighter. To become part of the Carta, you have to be good at fighting or, like, at least backstabbing and double dealing. So, and, you know, to marry someone out of your class, you got to be really pretty or... Um, have some other, you know, uh, extraordinary trait. So not all of these options are open to everyone. Yeah. But anyway, back to the Silent Sisters. Yeah. So during Dragon Age Origins Awakening, the, the major DLC for that game, when you meet the architect and in subsequent cutscenes after first meeting him, you will see a female dwarven ghoul by the side of the architect. This is Utha. She is a gray warden who has allied with the architect. But before she joined the gray wardens, she was a silent sister. This is why you never see her speak in Awakening because she can't because she cut out her tongue as the silent sisters do. So Like I just said, the women who joined this order cut out their own tongues in honor of the sacrifice of Astith the Grey. And she, of course, was the first female paragon of the warrior caste. Interestingly, the Silent Sisters always keep the knife they use to cut out their tongues, though they never use it as a weapon. And when they fight in provings, they all dress and look alike. They're sworn never to make a sound, even when they experience great pain. And so they are mute. Silent sisters have been known to use a form of sign language. Subsequently, they can and do use translators. As they are viewed as extremists, even among women, not all female warriors in Orzammar are part of this order. But it is very important to note that female warriors generally probably wouldn't be allowed still to this day if it was not for the sacrifice of Astith the Grey and the witness of the Silent Sisters that came after her in honor of her. So what do you do if you're born into the warrior caste before the Silent Sisters and you were a girl? I think that would just be your caste. You wouldn't necessarily be a warrior. That's just like that. That's your family. That's your status. Like, for example, and maybe this is more of a question. So uh, for samurai in Japan, did they ever take wives did they have female samurai? I, I don't know enough about that historical okay. point. I, I don't know. But my guess would be that they lived alongside the male warriors and supported them in however they could. You're probably right. I was just curious. Because, like, in the Orzammar, we see your cast very much determines, like, what your employment is or your job or your contribution to society. Yes, exactly. Um, It does. And I think that that's part of the reason why they wanted to become warriors so that they could, you know, fulfill that uh, role that's expected of them. But again, as we know, Orzammar is very resistant to change at all. So I think it's pretty remarkable that Uh, female warriors are even allowed now so only a couple more things about the silent sisters um this next piece is really interesting um and and tell me if it reminds you of anything so they have a joining process called blooding 
And this is completed when the recruit to the Silent Sisters takes her vow of silence. And then she cuts out her own tongue and defeats a number of opponents in the provings. They cannot be defeated in these matches. So they fight until the death. And that's how they join the Silent Sisters. Interesting, right? Yes, very interesting. I'm sure it does remind me of something, but I have no idea what you're getting at that it would remind me of. It just reminds me of the joining process for the Grey Wardens um, because it's literally referred to as a joining and also because they take these vows and then do something extreme, I guess is really my only reasoning, but to take vows and then do something involving blood also, you know, they cut out their tongue versus um, drinking Archdemon and dark spawn blood. Okay, so how how do we see them in the game other than Utha? Well, the Silent Sisters are ardent supporters of the current royal house Iduken, and so they support Prince Balin Iduken as the next king after the death of King Indran Iduken. The dwarf commoner will fight and kill a Silent Sister named Lenka during the Proving Loyalties quest, while the warden can fight Hanashin in round three we do in addition to Utha meet two more silent sisters although uh they do not have long lifespans after meeting us um so I think the total silent sisters we meet in the game is three. Oh no I forgot one more there's one more and her name is Pala and she left the silent sisters to join the inquisition but we don't know much more about her right i don't i don't even think i've interacted with her i haven't either um i just read that in my research so i'll have to look for her next time i play yeah uh so moving on now or do you have any other thoughts about the silent sisters that's all I have, unless you have um, additional thoughts about the Silent Sisters or any just anything to add about them. I just feel like we need an entirely separate Dragon Age game that's just dwarfs. I agree. <laughs> I agree. Or at least like a DLC-like Awakening where it's an actual, you know, setting where it's it's like a miniature game set in Orzammar or the Deep Roads or... Or my favorite, Couch Rock. Yeah. But yeah, um, unless you have anything else, we can move on. Let's move on. I don't got much else. Okay, so Shabratal. This one's going to be short because really we don't know barely anything about them. Um, but the Shabratal are a group of ancient dwarves. And they are secluded far, far, far beneath the deep roads. We first encounter them in the Descent DLC in Dragon Age Inquisition. So in, in the ancient Dwarven language, the name Shabratal is, um, its translation is Revered Defenders. Interesting, right? Because they are the Revered Defenders of the Titans. So... The Shabratal, the inter most interesting thing about them, I think, is that they can see, physically see with their eyes, in ways that regular dwarves cannot. And we do know from the games and from the lore that regular dwarves can see more in the dark than surfacers can, which makes sense because there's far less light underneath um, in the deep roads and in their cities than on the surface, which makes total sense. So of course they would evolve and adapt differently than, than the species or than the races that live on the land. Um, on the surface, but the Shabratal take it a, a, a step further and they can see even more than regular dwarves. Interesting. It's it is. A, mm -hmm. It's a big thing about like, in D&D, &D, it's called superior dark vision, which is basically like you get, with regular dark vision, you normally get 60 feet is what you can see in shades of gray mm -hmm. and dark vision. Superior dark vision gives you 120 but still shades of gray. Yes. Can we have dark vision that's better than superior that I can see sh in 120 feet and like not shades of gray? 
Um, I'd have to look at what the actual text is on certain things, but I believe there are certain abilities that allow you to see through magical darkness. And I think that allows you to see like not in shades of gray. Um, can you give that to my character? Y yes, I can. <laughs> Your character's gonna have to make some choices though. Why? Can I just have it? No. Well, <laughs> maybe. No, no. It's a okay. It's a warlock feature. That's why. Oh well, I, I don't. You know, for some reason, I don't think my paladin. I don't think that would work very well together. I mean, there's a lot of paladins that multi-class into warlock for two. I can no one get into it, but there's a lot of reasons that they do it, and they're both charisma casters, so it makes well, sense. That makes Okay, well, let's get back to Dragon Age, not D&D. &D. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so my last fun fact about the Shabratal is that, and this this will interest you, Austin, both the Shabratal and the Profane from Dragon Age 2 sustain themselves on Lyrium. Additionally, a rock wraith was encountered by the Legion of the Dead near the ruins of Hedron Taig, beneath which the Shah Bratal reside. So it may be, um, we, we may be able to speculate a little bit here that the Shah Bratal, the Profane, and the rock wraiths are all related in some way, or that the Lyrium powering them or giving them energy, I should say, connects them in some way. Well, what do you know think? That? We know the profane and rock wraiths are connected to mm -hmm. each other. Um, I don't know if it's ever stated that, but the profane and rock wraiths, if they're not the same, they're just two sides of the same coin. Interesting. The only, the only difference is the profane are named profane and we only ever see one rock wraith which is the one we fight at the end of the deep roads in da2 right so what do you think about the possibility of the rock wraiths and the profane being connected to the shot Ritual? well i think it's very possible especially the way that the um lyrium guardian or whatever we fight at the way of the descent operates um, that fight is very reminiscent of not only the DA2 fight with Corypheus because of all the running around in circles you have to do, but also it's reminiscent of that fight in DA2 where you fight the Rock Wraith. That's very true. Very true. Um, so it is possible. I mean, at, the, at, at some point, you know, Lyrium is Lyrium and it's going to affect and connect things. True. Very true. Well, let's move on a little bit. So structure and ranks. We usually talk about structure, right? Well, um, there are four that we know of, but I don't know the order of them. So I'll just tell you them, but these may or may not be uh, in order of like power or importance. So the four different ranks are earth shaker, stone stalker, bolter, and revered defender. The Earthshakers can go straight to hell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't replay that descent for that reason. Yeah. I just wanted everyone to know. <laughs> okay. So the Shabratal, it's important to note, they predate the fall of the Dwarven Empire. And their only purpose, their only purpose, purpose is to protect the titans especially and specifically from those they deem to be impure also there are no records whatsoever of this group in the memories or of the shaper it according to shaper volta the shabratal dwarves have been misled in their original goal and that they are now lost and misguided. And that's because the Shah, the Shah Bratal drink lyrium, which is the blood of the Titan. So 
the Shabratal also wear lyrium, um, or at least armor with lyrium woven into it, which causes it to then fuse into their flesh. So they claim to be protectors of the Titans, uh, defenders of the Titans, but they consume and use the Titan as well. So Volta very much sees them almost as hypocrites. What do you think about this? Um, I definitely see that because they do use the Titan in that way. But I also just do not trust Volta. There's too much sketchiness that happens with her. What do you mean by sketchiness? Like, she's not really, I mean, she is forthcoming, but I feel like she knows more about what's going on down there than she initially leads on with there. And like, I know Ren is her friend and spoilers for the Descent DLC, but like the way that she just blamed one just has this brief moment of blaming herself and that this is all her fault that he's dead and then she just immediately and part of this is probably just dragon age quick pacing and then she just immediately okay let's go and figure the rest of this out i hear that and i don't disagree i also just think though that there are other characters who display those same exact traits that you like and even love listen I didn't say that I hated Volta. I just said that I don't necessarily trust her. I know. I'm not criticizing you. I'm just, I'm just raising a point. Okay. And you know, and another thing with that is, you know, I love Fenris, but I am fully aware that he can be nicer to mages and he has a bias when it comes to mages. I think that is a um, extremely generous way to put Fenris. Yeah, he, he could be points. yeah i mean yeah and that this is something that i really enjoy about bioware characters is that they are flawed um and that they have you know issues <laughs> that we can comment on and um even as the player character can encourage them to to improve so there is that and maybe volta maybe we'll see her again when we inevitably inevitably go into the deep roads in DA4. If we don't, it's just breaking tradition and I've been no. mad about it. <laughs> yeah, well, anyway. So let's talk about the Shabratal's involvement a little bit. <clears throat> so in their search for the, the source of the mysterious earthquakes, a company led by the Inquisitor and Shaper Volta and Lieutenant Ren of the Legion of the Dead descend into the deep roads and go past the deep roads. And while they're navigating a cave system in the dark, this is when they realize they're not alone. They see the bright blue eyes that are watching them despite the near total darkness of the caves. Ren demands that the, the entities reveal themselves and he is then shot with a projectile of some sort. The Shabratal then reveal themselves armed with mechanized crossbows in lyrium-infused armor. And this is the first time we ever meet them in the games. They're a new addition into Dragon Age Inquisition. I'll be quite honest. When this first happened and the like mechanized crossbows come out, I thought we were about to see guns in Dragon Age. Um, because it's that fast. Like, it's like pow, 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 pow. Like... And yeah it's like lyrium bolts and so they look like lasers and things mm -hmm. so it's very interesting it is interesting and i was glad it wasn't guns because i you know for a long time i've said i don't want that i do not want that in dragon age um for a lot of reasons but yeah it that was a definitely interesting moment but uh you know after after Volta regains her consciousness back at the end of the DLC, she realizes that she has, she has obtained a connection to the Titan and that the Shah Bratal after this become extremely wary of her. And they know that she is somehow now connected 
to the Titan. They don't necessarily understand how or why, but they know that she is and that it's given her power of some sort. And so the Shabratal attempts to offer her a suit of their traditional armor, but she refuses it. They watch her and flee from her when she investigates their tower. Volta notes that they both love and fear her due to her new powers and her connection to the Titan. So I think the point about them being hypocritical is maybe a little bit accurate, but I also think that they're probably like so confused, you know, because how many people have come down there to threaten the Titan in the thousands of years? Probably a handful. Right. Not very many. So that's about all we know about the Shabra Tall. Do you have any thoughts about them? Um, again, just really difficult enemies. All the DLC. If you or Inquisition itself is not that difficult. Um, you might throw into a couple dragon fights that give you trouble, but the DLCs are no joke. Accurate. Okay, well, um, before we get into the Legion of the Dead, I think now would be a great time to take our break. Yeah, let's do it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. So, I'm still trying to wrap my mind around this. I'm listening. Ah, you've returned. A letter arrived for you. All right, well, welcome to the middle of the show where we talk about all things that don't have to do with Dragon Age lore and just our podcast. And so this is the time where we come out and we thank our patrons. Um, And so Shelby's going to read that list of the patrons. Yes, I am. So last week we had a new patron. This week we have two new patrons. Maybe next week we'll have three new patrons. That may be pushing it a little bit, Uh, but one can hope. Our two new patrons this week are Kolka Shins and Cyclops88. Both signed up at the first Enchanter tier, which means they will be joining us along with Derek B on our June patron episode. Thank y'all so much for subscribing. And um, our other first five patrons are Lisa M., Genesis, Derek B., Fletcher M., and Zuba. Thank y'all so much for being our patrons. Yes, thank you so much. And you too can sign up to be a patron by following the link to our Patreon in the episode description. There are all kinds of tiers from $5 to a ridiculous amount of $100. Um, You can go in there and there are different rewards that you can get. We appreciate all the support that we get. And, you know, we do this show to hang out with people and talk about Dragon Age and engage in the lore. And so if you like that and you want to come and hang out with us and talk with us, and come on the show, you can go and sign up for that tier. And uh, if you sign up for the first Enchanter tier, you can come on our monthly episode with us. Uh, Speaking of talking with us, if you just want to hang out with us and talk with us, you can join our personal Discord. The link is also in the description, the Cups Podcasting and more. There we talk about this podcast, our other podcast, the Assassin's Creed Lorecast, and my other podcast, the Holocron Histories, Assassin's Creed, Dragon Age, and Star Wars, and other games. You can also see pictures of our pets. Just a fun time. And then lastly, if you want to support us, but maybe financially is not something you can do, another great way to support us is to go into Spotify or Apple and leave us a review. Um, If you leave us five stars and on Apple, leave us five stars with some words, we will read out your review on a future episode of the show. I do not believe we have a review to read today, Shelby. We do not, but we do have a Hero Hawk or Herald. All right. Well, that brings us to our next section, which is... Uh, Show us your heroes, hawks, and heralds. And so we have one to share today. Okay, so this one is from Genesis. Um, Genesis is currently playing through Dragon Age Inquisition for the first time. So that means she's finished with Dragon Age 2. And I have her hawk to share. So Genesis's hawk is Jenna Hawk. And she 
is dating Anders. He's her boyfriend. And her two best friends are Isabella and Varric. And they like to hang out at the Blooming Rose. Jenna was able to get all of Kirkwall's best to join her mission to free all the mages from forced tranquility and to uplift all races. In Hawk's first year in Kirkwall, she joined forces with a Thinral to build up her reputation and earn some coin. Isabella was hard to resist in Act 1, and the two shared quite a few games of Hide the Dagger in those early days. But both of them knew that this wasn't meant to be long-term. After finding Anders leaving out milk for kittens, Jenna started to fall for the former warden. She tends to have an open heart when selecting an olive branch or a peaceful outcome or dialogue choice, at least unless she's joking with her friends or she has a strong conviction when it comes to her thoughts about protecting mages. Jenna loves her sister Bethany so much and will do anything to protect her. Having to hide her mage abilities was difficult, but the two were inseparable. So, of course, she was on the mission into the deep roads. Anders was an obvious choice to round out the party because not only is he a former Grey Warden who can sense the dark spawn, but he's been to the deep roads before. And Jenna liked the idea of spending more time with her new man. This proved to be the best possible decision because tragedy struck. Bethany was forced to become a Grey Warden, and thankfully, Anders was there. Fainriel was allowed to go to the Dalish camp, but he still struggled there, and so when he was stuck in the Fade, Jenna Hawk helped him beat the demons in his mind and return to the present real reality. He then traveled to Tevinter to study and sent Hawk a letter thanking her for all of her help. And then, as we know, the era shock comes next, and he was not an easy Kunari to impress. But eventually, he took a liking to Jenna Hawk and would send her on missions and request aid when situation in Kirkwall became dire. But in the end, it was all for naught. Isabella was the scoundrel. She was the one who sold the item that the, that the Kuhn demanded in order for the era shock to leave. Even though Izzy came to her senses and returned to the book, it wasn't enough to sway the era shock. An all-out brawl broke out in the keep, and the final blow to the Cunari people in Kirkwall was dealt. It was not a happy battle for Jenna because she wanted to broker peace. Growing up alongside a mage and falling in love with another, mages hold a special place in Jenna Hawk's heart. She believes that they should all be equal and valid members of society and that they should never be forced into tranquility or to be slaves to a circle that won't let them expand their knowledge. After the drastic move was set off by Anders, we all know what that was, Jenna thought her world was collapsing along with the Chantry. The High Cleric was her friend after all. But when Anders explained his reasoning and explained how peace was impossible and that a hard line in the sand needed to be drawn, Jenna understood. If nearly a decade of peace talks weren't enough, and if hatred could not be set aside, a true stance needed to be taken. When it came to the final decision of who to side with, Jenna chose the mages. Jenna had been trying for years to broker peace. For years, she spoke with both the mages and the Templars, helping both with any tasks that were required, but in the end, Meredith pushed the line too far. No one should ever die, be abused, or forced into submission based solely on the way they were born, Jenna Hawk argues. Aveline and Fenris unfortunately could not see past their pre preconceived notions and cited against Hawk originally. But once Meredith's kill on sight order came down, Aveline realized that Meredith just wanted to kill innocent people all throughout Kirkwall. Kirkwall. She stood at Hawk's side, and Fenris swore not to fight the mages, swore not to fight to protect the mages. And so he left Hawk. Jenna told Anders that there was no way he could bring on this much havoc to Kirkwall and not remain there and finish and fight this battle. And that is Genesis's Hawk. Thank you so much for sharing her with us and for giving us such a detailed account of your game. It's so much fun. Thank you.
Well, Shelby, if you don't have anything else to share, let's get back into the episode. My friend. You fear barbarians will swoop down upon you. Yes, swooping is bad. Yeah, this is gonna be fun. Our last faction of this season. We're hitting it now. Are you ready? Always. Okay, so our last faction is the Legion of the Dead. Dun, dun, dun. I don't know why I did that. Anyway, I'm ignoring you and moving on. The Legion of the Dead, they are a very important faction um, in Dwarven culture. And also for, for everybody else, they're super important because they're the first line of defense against the Darkspawn. So they are an independent branch of the Dwarven army. They are both in and outside of the Dwarven army, interestingly enough. And this is because they directly answer to the monarchy of Orzammar, not like their commanders in the army. And they are specifically devoted to fighting off Darkspawn. The heraldry of the Legion of the Dead is a stylized Dwarven skull. And it's often colored white or gray, depending on, you know, the colors surrounding it. And it is always emblazoned upon the Legion's armor. And whether it's their personal suits or shields or whatever, they're also considered to be the most intimidating and the most devastating force of all dwarves whatsoever. And then finally, they consider themselves to be dead when they join the Legion of the Dead. So in in many instances, they even hold a funeral for themselves before they leave for the deep roads. In my show notes, I wrote all caps, goth AF. We're dead. We fight Darkspawn. We're dead. Yeah, I mean, that's really how they look at it. So for their structure, at the bottom, they've got scouts and then legionnaires and then corporal and then sergeant lieutenant after that and then at the top is commander do we ever meet a commander i don't know i don't think so i don't think so either we meet ren who is a lieutenant he might be the highest ranking one him or nalther which i'll I'll talk about in just a minute but anyway so not much is known about the legion of the dead's history and founding um but we can assume that they're an ancient order So in 899 Blessed, Prince Merrick Theron and his party, they were rescued by the Legion of the Dead, specifically by a man named Malther, who I just mentioned, and his regiment rescued them from a darkspawn attack. And after the battle, the prince managed to convince Malther the dwarf to help him reclaim the throne of Ferelden as part of the Ferelden Rebellion. This happens in the Stolen Throne novel. So they accept and they go to the surface. Can you really imagine that? It's pretty interesting. So Nalther and his company help in the ensuing fight at Gwarren during the war. And the Dwarven Regiment destroyed half of the Chevalier force. That tells you what kind of warriors they are if they were able to destroy half of the Chevaliers alone. Well, I mean, they really are kind of the perfect, like, small infantry unit to, like, have against an overwhelming force because that's their whole existence is right. to fight They're- back against the Darkspawn who just swarm and have hordes. And so I'm sure that it's really undermining the Chevaliers because not only are they able to hold off hordes, they fight as a unit. Like the the Legion of the Dead fight as a unit. And like, this is a big point in like historical military combat. One of the reasons that the Greeks and Romans had such military prowess over the other areas is because their soldiers fought as a unit. Um, It was one moving thing and that devastated other armies that were more scattered right that's so true and you're absolutely right that they're the perfect unit to come in and and attack the chevaliers and i i like to think they are the the ultimate shock troops of dragon age yes very much so so they helped the freldans in in their war against orlay and i said that they joined uh, the fight at warren well they also a few months afterwards they participated and joined the major battle of the river dane 
which was a crushing defeat for the Orlesian occupiers and won for Eldon the war. However, Nalther, as well as the rest, of, well, most of the rest of his regiment were killed in the fight. And Prince Merrick at that time promised that they would receive, um, that their bodies would go back into the deep roads, that they wouldn't just be left um, on the surface. And, and Merrick upholds that end of his bargain. But I think it's pretty remarkable that a group of dwarven warriors joined a human prince in war on the surface in, you know, even though they are legionnaires and that they're not, you know, part of the upper class of Dwarven society, it's still really significant, I think. Right. And I think that it's also a thing. They answer only to the king or the monarch, ruling monarch of Orzammar. And I'm sure that Orzammar would like to see an end to the Orle occupation as well. I mean, they have to have some like close ties to Valorio because they supply the lyrium trade and the Chantry controls that. Uh, so I'm sure deep down there are some dwarves who want Orle to be toppled so that they can control the lyrium trade. That's probably true. I also think, you know, that the, the main entrance to Orzammar is in Ferelden in the mountains. So at some level, they probably have to work with the Freldens in some way because of that. Um, so I think that probably impacts it as well. Okay, so let's talk about their involvement a little bit. Um, the Legion of the Dead is a military organization, not unlike the Grey Wardens. And I think it's, it's really interesting in this um, because they both accept anyone from any level of society. Um, many, many dwarves join the Legion to avoid punishment for various crimes or to regain their family's honor um, and thus restoring their house's lost honor. Some even join for the glory and the Legion accepts all of these all the same, no matter who you are. It's really interesting to me because, and I know this was probably a decision so that we could have him as a companion, but to me, it makes more sense for Ogryn to go join the Legion of the Dead than it does for him to come and join the Grey Wardens. 100% totally agree. And I mean, I think you can argue that Ogryn joins the Grey Wardens because of how much the, the Warden or the Hero of Ferelden had an impact on him. But I do think that the, the Legion of the Dead makes more sense for him, especially because he's very concerned with like giving back and like being better than he was when he first, um, you know, got kicked out of his house, at least in Origins, not in Awakening. We won't talk about, we won't talk about that. Um, yeah. Also, I think that if you spare Bronca inside with her, that I think that he would probably want to join the Legion of the Dead so that he could explore the deep roads to try to reason with her or figure something out with her. Yeah, that's a really good point. I also always give him Legion of the Dead armor. He just looks right in it, you know? Oh, I totally agree. Well, anyway, let's move on from Ogren a little bit. So before Legion of the Dead members permanently leave Orzammar and enter the Deep Roads, they undergo the symbolic funeral. I mentioned this earlier. So in this funeral, last goodbyes are spoken to friends and relatives, and all ties to their former lives are cut completely. The funeral begins with chanting and toasts. Then the dwarves bid farewell to their friends and loved ones. Once, this funeral clears the dwarves' name and restores their family's lost honor, if that's applicable. They are recorded as dead in the memories, viewed as having found glorious and redemptive death in battling the dwarves' eternal nemesis, the Darkspawn. Of course, the Legionnaire must then work to make this a fact and reality through a courageous and honorable death fighting against the Darkspawn. I wonder if, like... So, you know, in Game of Thrones, like the Night's Watch is often used as a punishment for criminals. Yes. Um, because you forsake all like lands and titles and any like glory outside of, you know, Westeros that you would get. It's kind of a similar thing like here, but we don't really see evidence of that in games at least. But I wonder if like criminals are given the option of like, well, we can execute you or... You can join the Legion of the Dead. 
I would imagine not. And here's why. Because when they join the Legion of the Dead, it erases all of their past sins and restores their house's honor. So for a criminal to be given the opportunity to join the Legion of the Dead, yes, it's a punishment for them to like have to go and fight Darkspawn for the rest of their lives, but it has no effect and renders any punishment null and void on the house specifically. And I feel like Dwarven culture is very punitive. So to erase any effect that their crime would have on the family and the house would not be something they would want. That makes sense. I guess that's the same thing of like, it would be a good way to get rid of certain nobles you don't want to take power specifically like that's how the night's watch works like you know they if you have a son who's your heir you don't want taking over you basically force him to take the vows of the night's watch and then your next in line gets the inherits your estate and your title and all that right yeah that's interesting i just don't necessarily think it's a one-to-one comparison okay i was just curious Yeah. So, you know, um, if I asked you right now, what does the Legion of the Dead do? What would you say? They fight the Darkspawn. Right. That's not their only responsibility, interestingly, right? So the Legion of the Dead also has the unique responsibility of purifying the stone from a corruption or disease called the gang. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. It might be gangway. I'm not really sure. The gang is described as the waste and unstable rock that must be cut away from the stone. This is the toxic influence that is contaminating the stone and its harmful influence impedes all dwarves from achieving prosperity. So it's the Legion of the Dead's responsibility to carve out the worst of themselves as a prerequisite to face the gang. Only the fully adorned of the Legion are worthy enough to face and destroy it. Isn't that interesting? It is interesting. Um, It makes me curious about, since we don't know about their founding, if like that was their original purpose and then when the Darkspawn show up. For the first blight they just adopt that purpose to as well like they view the dark spawn as also a defilement so these people who purify the stone are now fighting these impure creatures yeah i think that makes a lot of sense i, I absolutely think that makes a lot of sense okay so a couple more little things to say about the legion of the dead so their headquarters used to be located in bonamar also known as the City of the Dead, which is an impressive fortress designed by the Paragon Keratin. In 913 Dragon, 13, it was abandoned to the Darkspawn with great regret. We cannot go technically to Bonamar, but we do walk by it. When you are in the deep roads in Dragon Age Origins, and there you come to this place where there's a line of legionnaires and there's that skinny bridge and you have to go across it and there's dark spawn coming and they're helping you fight. You remember this? So behind the legionnaires, behind where they're standing, that fortress is Bonamar. Right. I remember this. So that's where their headquarters used to be, which is a amazing and perfect place to fight back the dark spawn. Um, but as the legion the Legion of the Dead's activities spread out throughout the Deep Roads and not only around Orzammar, they regularly create these like sturdy crates which contain clothing, food, weapons, and they leave them throughout the Deep Roads um, in case they're needed by someone, which kind of help, helps explain how we even find any loot whatsoever in the Deep Roads. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so my last thing to say about the Legion of the Dead is about their death. When a legionnaire dies, there is a second funeral. And the second funeral is to return them to the stone. If it is possible to do so, the remaining legionnaires bury their fallen brethren. The bodies of the dead are placed in sarcophagi, which are sealed within graves in order to protect them from being defiled by the dark spot. Makes sense. Yeah, and I think that really shows 
how much they do care about their brethren. Um, they deeply care about their brethren. This is not a flippant order in any way. They are very serious. Um, and I respect that about them. Yes, there's a sense of fraternity, strong fraternity there. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, are you ready to get into a few known members? Always. Okay, so we have, of course, Lieutenant Wren, Sigrin, Nalther, who was the one that saved King Merrick and company. Corbin, who is a player-controlled character in the Inquisition multiplayer. Cardall, who is seen in the Deep Roads in Origins. And Aurelian Pentagast. Yes, I said Pentagast. Who is the only human to have ever joined the Legion of the Dead. He's from Orzammar and he is distantly related to Cassandra. He's from, from Navarra hmm. and is distantly related to Cassandra. Right. You also forgot, uh, I guess she doesn't technically join, but Sir Ruth, if you send her in judgment to the Deep Roads, um, you can basically do a war table operation and she meets up with the Legion of the Dead. Because they basically, basically what you can do, she's a warden who, warden mage who bounded demons and killed her brother. And so, brethren, and so she comes before you in judgment and you can kill her, you can do something, but you can also send her to the deep roads, which is kind of what she wants. She wants to die. She says she deserves to die. So you can do a thing where she goes to the deep roads and you're basically like, this was all started with a fake calling, like go fulfill the calling basically. Um, and if you do the war table operation, you find out that she meets up with the Legion of the Dead and basically unofficially joins up with them and hangs around with them. That's very interesting. I didn't, I knew that she did that. I knew that she, you could send her to the deep roads, but I didn't know that she joined up with the Legion. Um, but she doesn't officially join them. Aurelian uh, Pentagast like officially gets inducted. He has the whole funeral and everything. I just find that very interesting that they would even accept someone who's not a dwarf. Right. I mean, but I guess like the Legion of the Dead, you, I guess in their philosophy, it would not be a far leap to be like, well, race doesn't matter because we're dead. Right. And nothing else, nothing else in, in dwarven society matters. So why does race? Exactly. Well, do you have any more thoughts about the Legion of the Dead, the Shah Bratal, or the Silent Sisters before we get into our side character? I just want to say that I think the Legion of the Dead is probably one of the more honorable factions in Thetis and like truly honorable. Like there's honor in like the Chevaliers, but they remind me of like a frat, like your stereotypical like frat. Yeah, there's a lot of prestige and honor, but they also do really crappy things. Yeah, I agree with you that the Legion of the Dead is very honorable. And I think between the Legion of the Dead and the Grey Wardens, there's just so much sacrifice. Um, and it makes sense because Thetis is, is a hard, unforgiving world um, that will kill you the minute that you are not expecting it. Um, and so, of course, there would have to be people who make these sacrifices so of course there would be people who have to to make these sacrifices but it really doesn't hit home to you until you start talking about the people actually in um these factions and and all that until you realize like okay these people have have committed to literally giving the rest of their lives to make sure that you're safe it's powerful Yes, it is very powerful. But that was my last little point. Um, so we're ready to move on. Okay, well, do you know who our side character is for the day? Any guesses? I mean, it's not really fair. I'm looking at the show notes, so. That's true. Well, it's <laughs> Lieutenant Wren. <laughs> um, and as we have already talked about him a little bit, we know that he is a dwarven officer of the Legion of the Dead, and we meet him in Inquisition's Descent DLC. And he is a temporary companion in that. So Lieutenant Wren joined the Legion to pay off the debts of his father. This prevented his family from losing their caste. 
Previously, he was a cobbler before joining. Wren is also a veteran of the Fifth Blight, though he described himself as a wet-nosed recruit at that time, and he did never, he never met the warden. But he does, because of the warden, have a lot of respect for the Grey Wardens. Three years before the events of the Descent, DLC, the Shaperit tasked Wren with protecting Shaper Volta during her search for dwarven relics in the Deep Roads. The two developed a mutual affinity for each other, although Wren is often very skeptical of Volta's many theories. When food riots started in Orzammar, Volta made sure that Ren's brother and mother were safe and fed. The Inquisitor first encounters Lieutenant Ren and his men fighting Darkspawn, which is on brand. And the Inquisitor then helps them seal off one of the exits to the Deep Roads with lyrium explosives. Ren then accompanies the Inquisitor, their companions, and Volta on the quest to stop the earthquakes through the Darkspawn Warrens and the ruins of Hedron Tig. We do know, unfortunately, during the Descent DLC that Ren dies. He is killed by a member of the Shavratal. And he is buried according to Dwarven tradition. And if you take Cole... Cole will say that it sings softly under the silence. The stone took him back. He is home again. However, unfortunately, after this, um, his grave site is disturbed by someone. We don't know who. And his remains are now missing. We don't know what that means uh, for the future for Dragon Age 4, but it's definitely suspicious in my opinion. As we know, Varric Tethris has a nickname for every companion. His nickname for Lieutenant Wren, do you have any guesses what it may be? Smiles. No, I think Smiley is a nickname for someone else. I could be wrong. You're uh, thinking of Varric, Chuckles. I probably am. I probably am. I'm thinking of my, I'm confusing Miley Cyrus and Chuckles. Making it into the same thing. <laughs> anyway, um, yes, I watched Hannah Montana. What about it? You're rolling your eyes at me. I would never. Well, anyway, his nickname by Varric is Grizzly uh, because he tells an abundance of grim stories about the Legion of the Dead, which again, I, I feel like this is very on brand for Ren. And then my last interesting thing about him is that he does not wear the Legion of the Dead armor. Instead, he wears the original regular Dwarven army armor. Interesting. It is. And then my last, last thing that I have is a quote from him that I think sums up his character and sums up the Legion of the Dead. And it's this, we die in the eyes of our brothers so that we can fight without fear. It offers redemption for the greatest sacrifice. I really like that quote because I think it sums up a good reason of like why I like Lieutenant Wren and that he turned my attention from like the very beginning. And it has to do with the fact that he is so, I guess, realistic is the word that I'm looking for. He's not like awestruck by the Herald at all. Um, he's not he's not concerned with all of these grandiose things that are happening which is all throughout inquisition in fact he thinks it's like volta's grand theories he thinks are rubbish and a waste of time um he's just very much a person who's like this is what's right in front of me and i'm going to deal with that right now and i think that's a very needed perspective in inquisition and i think that it comes from that he's one of the few people who like is someone important but is not considered someone important in the like society of the thetas at least I totally agree with that. Um, and I agree that he brings a, a needed dose of reality um, to, to the Inquisition because they have to be concerned with the future. They have to be concerned with the breach and Corypheus and saving the world and what's going to happen in the future. But Rand is concerned with what's happening now what's happening right in front of us that we can change and we can control. Um, and that's a really important perspective when everyone around you is thinking about six months from now or six weeks from now or, or whatever um, in, in fighting the future. 
So I think you're absolutely right in that he brings a much needed and refreshing perspective to Inquisition. And I also really liked him. He really captured my attention and I was really sad when he died. I think I, I stopped playing the game for, for a little bit when he died because I was very sad. Um, but I really liked him as a character. Yeah, really did. Um, I think that he also brings a sense of like getting re- results as opposed to like the method, which so much of the Inquisitor's advisors are so focused on the method in which they get results. Whereas Ren is very much of like, there's dark spawn. We kill the dark spawn. We achieve that goal. The end. Yeah, absolutely. Why I think that there's a lot of commonality between the Grey Wardens and the Legion of the Dead is because they both kind of have that mindset of there's Darkspawn, let's kill the Darkspawn, let's get it done. Politics and all that don't matter. Because they don't have the luxury of politics. They don't have the luxury of like, oh, let's argue about how we do this. They don't have the luxury of that. They have to get it done or they die. Yeah, but it's just a really fresh perspective that I think rounds out the world even more agreed all right do you have anything else about lieutenant ren i don't all right well thank you for listening to the dragon age lore cast we'll see you next week thanks for listening to the dragon age Lorecast. as always you can find us on twitter at da Lorecast. if you have any lore questions topics to unpack or side character suggestions Email them to us at dalorecast at gmail.com. The Dragon Age Lorecast is a part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club. You can join the Robots Radio Network Discord by clicking the link in our episode description. If you enjoyed our show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe and give us a review. See you next time. Hi, I'm Aaron. And I'm Ariel. And we're the hosts of the Legend of Zelda Lorecast podcast about all things Legend of Zelda from Errol to Zora and all the fun things in between if you're ready to dive deep and learn more about the Legend of Zelda lore and everything surrounding it come join us on Legend of Zelda Lorecast you can find us on Apple iTunes Spotify Google or wherever else you get your podcasts we hope to see you soon <laughs>